0: It's a pleasure to be back. An honor to to bring the word to you, um, as Richard uh, introduced me again. I'm I'm a ruling elder with Grace Coastal Church. I live in Bluffton with my wife, uh, Chris. We've been married 26 years, and we have two sons, uh, Jake and Sam, that are 16 and 13 and a half. So uh, we have good times and uh, good times and bad, uh, full of teenage emotions and things like that. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, they would have been here with us today. But uh, there was a, there's a, a school dance next week, and they had to get new clothes or something like that. So <laughs> I was glad to not be a part of that. So, but it's it's a pleasure to be here. And you know we share your joy uh, at Grose Coast, Coastal. We're, we're so pleased and very happy that uh, Daniel has been called. And uh, it's a pleasure to meet him at Presbytery yesterday. Uh, we, we, as you know, are having our installation service uh, tonight for uh, Pastor Jason Crenshaw, whom we have called. And it, it took us a while as well uh, to, to, for our search committee to find and then, uh, and then to, to complete that process. And, and we know it's taken you guys a while as well. And so, uh, like, like I said, we just simply share your joy and, and look forward to seeing what God is going to do. There's a, uh, there's a sense of relief that that's completed, but also a sense of mission that comes upon you as a church uh, when the process is closed. That uh, God is now going to continue and do uh, what He's going to do, and so we're excited about all that for you guys, and, and know that you're praying for us as well. So, uh, and 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 I suppose part of having me here today is to make you guys extremely relieved that uh, Daniel will be up in this pulpit very soon. So, um, uh, but but again, very very much uh, glad. And our word our word today comes from. Uh, the message today comes from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read verses 5 through 15. Uh, this is uh, Christ's words, teaching, and the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I have a new Bible for Christmas, and the print is somehow smaller than my previous one, and so um, if I stumble, I apologize. My clothes are a little tighter since Christmas too, and I'm not sure about that either. But <clears throat> In deference to the Word, let's please stand for the reading. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. Give ear to the word of the Lord. And Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And we'll stop there. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have seen fit not to leave us uh, lost and without direction, but instead we we can read your word and hear the words of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for that. We pray this morning that your your word, your spirit will come through. Father, I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase. Be in our presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, one of my favorite sections of the Bible, um, and uh, one that I, I highly recommend if you've never studied it to uh, to spend some time just digging through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. It encapsulates much of what Jesus uh, has has presented to us and describes to us what life as a believer is all about. Uh, this is this is his summary, his teaching concerning the piety, the conduct of your life, your religious life. Uh, you know, it's uh, there's a lot to be said about kings these days. Jesus is king of kings and um, you know, and, 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 we have our heavenly father, you know, we, we've got, uh, the latest drama going on with, uh, was it Prince Harry and Megan, uh, that are out there. If you follow along with any of that sort of stuff, you know, and it's, it's kind of sad to see sometimes the dialogue that goes back and forth with this sort of thing. It's like, you know, Kings once upon a time used to, used to conquer continents and, and now they're, they're just like a reality show or they're just wanting you to buy your book. It's, it's pretty amazing. By their book, it's, it's a while. But, or, or recently, this past month, um, you know, Lisa Marie Presley passed away. And, uh, you know, she's, she's the daughter of, um, of Elvis Presley, you know, the, the, not a real king, a king of rock and roll, maybe. Uh, we as Americans struggle with the concept of royalty, struggle with, mean, we fought a revolution, right? Uh, right down the road here on Sullivan's Island, there was a fort and a battle and one of the most significant fights during the revolution. We, we share this heritage, there's heritage of rebellion against uh, monarchy and royalty and you know, s- being submissive to kings and things like that. So sometimes as Americans we struggle with this. And you know this morning we had Sunday school and, and uh, it was a wonderful study and, and, and of, of the Reformation of uh, John Calvin and Zwingli uh, and others. And one thing that the Reformation did, it dawned on me is it, it, it provided such great access. One of the reasons it set a fire in the hearts of, of millions of people was it, it, set, it gave, gave access to the king. It gave access to the father. You and I as common people can read the scriptures and study and know, and know whom to pray to and all that. It's, it's a wonderful revolutionary thing. You know, you know the king. And this king wants you to call him father. You know, Sinclair Ferguson says you can't even open up the new pages of the New Testament without understanding and seeing this. This is what makes the New Testament new, this access to the king. You can speak with the master of the universe in such intimate terms. That's the heart of your Christian faith. And so we have the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you recall, has gathered people to him. His disciples are around him, and he's talking to them about life as a Christian. What, this, is, this is what your life, it's not, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's an it's a, it's a example or a description of what your life will be like when you follow him. And if you listen to him, it's a message to ordinary men and women. A message to people like you and like me. And he talks about prayer. And in this passage, he he really wants to describe what it's like to talk to the Father. And his disciples ask him, How do we pray? Teach us to pray. And, and this is one of the difficult things sometimes to think about. Is it difficult to pray? Prayer, uh, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a, when I mentioned study earlier, a uh, very significant time in my life as a young person was to read and study uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' studies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a thick book, you know, and it's, it gets into the passage of these things and, it's, and, um, and what they mean. And it's just so rich to read and understand what Jesus is talking about here. And it's, it, it's the highest activity, he says, of the human soul, to pray to the Father. Or Robert Murray McShane said, you know, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. It's that significant to us. But it's difficult sometimes, isn't it? Prayer can be one of the most difficult things for us as believers to do. You know, it's, it's, we pray to someone who's invisible to all intents and purposes. You know, that can sometimes be a stretch for us. You know, God's not physically present, Uh, you know, our sins get in the way, right? We get distracted, we fall asleep, uh, you know, something comes up and we have to focus ourselves. You know, Jesus has given some specific instructions today on kind of how to do this. Uh, Our sins also get in the way and and just simply our, our motivations behind the prayer. And that's what he's addressing here directly. These people who just pray openly to be seen by others. Lord jones says that this is our sin. This is the sin that we bring with us when we come to God to pray. It afflicts us, he says. We, he says um, sin is not merely something that tends to assail and afflict us when we are far away from God. In the far country, as it were, sin is something so terrible, according to our Lord's exposure of it, that it will not only follow us to the gates of heaven, but if it were possible, our sins would follow us into heaven itself. And so we have to constantly be on guard about our motivations for praying, and, and how and why we're praying and what's drawing us to do this. So, so what is this sin? It's the sin is the desire to be interested in myself as one who prays, to be seen and to be known by others as one who prays. You know, and, and Jesus is, is addressing these guys who are going to the temple to pray and they want to be, they want to show everybody. It's not, it's more than one thing to go to the temple and just pray quietly or to pray in the temple with other people they want to show people along the way that they're praying and so they would fall on their knees and pray between there and the temple and Jesus is saying look at these guys they're getting their glory now they're getting their reward right now they're not truly doing what they need to do and we want to be seen as people who pray right you know there are a lot of you are prayer warriors and you hear about people wow she's a tr- she's a real prayer warrior you know I stand here before you today because my mom is a prayer warrior you know, my mom's praying for me every day. Sometimes she's prayed really hard for me. You know, these are the kind of things that sustain us and the kind of things that, that, that we want to be seen as as part of our sinful nature. I hope somebody sees me as somebody who prays. And we get on, sometimes we'll get on social media, right? We'll get on Facebook or someplace and, and some, something tragic will happen. And we're like, I'm praying for you right now. Thoughts and prayers, right? Which is great. Don't stop doing that. But sometimes, have you ever paused to think, what can I write that's really significant, that's going to sound good and comforting to these people? Or what might, what might look good if I put this down here? What verse can I quote that others may see? You know, and if we're putting all this kind of thought and energy into these sort of things, we have to pump the brakes a second and go, why am I doing this? Am I really hoping? Am I really offering comfort to these people? Or am I doing something to be shown to my 560 followers that I'm a, I'm a Christian and that I pray? I'm not saying stop doing that. I'll be on there tonight doing that. But just be conscious of why. It's kind of like uh, you know, this self-focus. Is, my kids have recently done the, uh, the book Cat and Dog Theology. Have you all read any of that? Uh, it's not about pets going to heaven. It's uh, Cat and dog theology is an approach to how we see God. And basically the way it works is, is that the, the concept or the idea, the illustration that they use is that a dog... You know, a dog, you pet a dog, you feed a dog. The dog's like, he loves me, he pets me, he feeds me. I'm, he must be God. But a cat, right, is different. <laughs> yeah, Y'all laughing, y'all have cats. Man, you pet a cat, you love a cat, you need a cat. You know, the, cats, the cat says, he pets me, he loves me, he keeps me warm. You know, I must be God. That's, and that's how it works, right? It's how we see God. And we've got to eradicate that tendency from our lives. And it's, it's challenging. It's hard sometimes. It's our very nature. So what Jesus is saying is one way to do this is just to pray. Have a, have a vibrant and robust prayer life and go to, your, go to God. Go to, go to your Father in heaven, he says. Take it one step further. Go to your Father in heaven. And he describes what it means to have a Father in heaven. And he says, when you pray to the Father... Pray personally. Pray to him as your father. Let's look at verses five and six. And he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. Pray to your invisible father, he says. Jesus right out understands and knows that we will struggle with this. But he says, that's okay. That's what you should do. Pray to your father. You know, doing things in secret is a theme of the Sermon on the Mount. He actually tells us six, six places in the Sermon on the Mount of things that we're supposed to do secretly. You know, you're to give secretly. Uh, right after this passage, he talks about fasting secretly. You don't walk around to how hungry you are. You know, he's saying do, these are things that you do in secret to honor your father and to and to commune with your heavenly father. It's about honesty and intimacy in your prayers. And Jesus reflects this himself in, verse, in John 17. He does his, his prayer, his high priestly prayer. He prays for you and for me in the garden. And he's praying to his father. Listen, verses, starting at verse 25, Jesus in uh, John 17. He says, oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these that know and these know that you have sent me, and I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You know, this love of the Father that Jesus has, and He shares and He gives to us as well. That's His motivation. You know, this is it's a, it's important to think about these things. It's important to, to to really grasp personal prayer with your father. There are reasons we don't do this sometimes, and there are reasons that we do it that are wonderful. You know um, and he's not forbidding all this stuff about secret prayers. he's not forbidding public prayers, right? we We have lots of public prayers. We've prayed today. Uh, you know praying in public is is commended and called for. Uh, you know, uh, Peter and John, you know, when they were released in Acts 4, uh, you know, they went to their friends and they reported uh, what the chief priests and elders had done. And when the, they heard it, when this, when this young church, this body of believers heard this, they all prayed together. They lifted their voices to God. That's Acts 4, starting at verse 23. And Jesus is only, is only condemning those prayers designed to impress other people. Private prayer helps conform us to Christ. The question is, how much time do you spend in private prayer? Do we pray only when we come to church? Do we pray only at bedtime with the kids? Do we pray only in traffic when somebody cuts you off and, you know, that kind of thing? Don't let me hurt this person. You know, when are you praying and when are you going? Are you going to God in secret on a regular basis? Do you pray more in public than you do in private? Something to think about. When you pray in public more than you do in private... You might be more concerned about others, about how others see you, than how God sees you. So you pray to your father personally. Second, you pray to your father sincerely. Another word for this is authentically. You know, Authentic Christianity is one of these kind of things that's been going around a little while. But it's, you're authentically, you're, you're honestly praying to your God. You're sincerely praying to your father. And not as the pagans do, Jesus says. Look at verse 7. He says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And some, some uh, translations have this, Gentiles, pagans, something like that. Uh, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So what's a pagan? And what's the Gentile here that he's talking about? And this is, this is basically a, a word for a religious person. And Jesus is specifically talking about the pagans that are out there because a lot of people pray, a lot of religions pray. That's, that's a very—it's a factor of almost every religion is praying to something or someone or multiple things. And and Jesus is like, don't be like those guys. They're religious, and they pray with lots of words. You know, they'll they'll say things over and over again. They have empty phrase. Another word in there is babbling. They they empty phrases is also translated babbling. In some places, and this is, you know, this is this this goes all the way back to like the Proverbs uh, chapter chapter ten, worried about warning about people who babble, and then this sort of many words that you're doing this this you know I'm I didn't say earlier uh, yeah, I'm a ruling elder and and I went to RTS Charlotte years ago and blah 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 but I've been in the banking world for 20 years I'm a uh, in banking and finance uh, I'm a commercial lender now so uh, you know. The sales arena, some of you are out there in sales or whatever, or maybe you're victims of sales people, but you, you, you know, when the salesperson gets to talking fast is when you're trying to keep up with what's going on because that little fine print is coming out and you're struggling to keep up and that's when the tricks happen, right? And you know, when I'm in a sale, I want to be like, I want to get this thing, I want to close this deal and the temptation is just a blah, 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 blah. And the guy's like, okay, okay, I'll sign, you know? you know. That's what God is talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't come to your father with just a million words hoping he's going to hear you. Pray sincerely and know what you're praying for. Know who you're praying to. Are your words anxious? You know, that's, a, that's another thing. We often go to God when we're anxious or frustrated or upset. Uh, but we don't go with a sense of just anxiety. God, are you going to hear me? God, are you going to listen to me? Because you know he will. Sometimes our words are cold and impersonal. They're mechanical. You know, Kevin DeYoung talks about how to come to God. He says, he says God is not your roommate. Your heavenly father is not your butler or your girlfriend. Don't be chummy or demanding or romantic, but neither are we told to pray to him as a dictator, a parole officer, or a harsh taskmaster, like we have to plead with him against his better judgment to listen to us. So don't grovel, don't squirm, and don't be afraid. Come to him as his child. Tim Keller talks about this quite a bit. He says one of the tests of this, he says, is, uh, is what happens when your prayers uh, aren't answered. <clears throat> And uh, you know the, the way we, we think about this is that um, there are two ways that we come to God. We either come to God, it's, it's like, I guess, I guess the way it's described is we come to God uh, on, on what basis He's going to listen to us. Uh, there are two relationships that we have in this world. We have like the business, we have the professional type of relationships in this world. These are, these are, these are your bankers, these are people that you know and that you work with, your boss maybe. You have a professional relationship with your boss. You work your 40, he gives you your paycheck. That's your relationship. But God, you come to God, you come to your father on a family basis. He says you, you, you can walk up to somebody and ask directions for something, and it's great. You've got this thing, you can do this, ask directions. But you can't walk up and hold their hand, right? Because you don't know this person. There's, a, there's a, a line that's drawn between the two of you guys. You, are, you share a family relationship. What's the restaurant? Uh, Olive Garden That has the, when you're here, you're what? You're you're family, right? (laughs) We had Olive Garden yesterday at Presbytery, the endless salad and breadsticks. Uh, They they did the catering there. Uh, I text back my family. They were jealous. You know, you walk in, you're family, right? You probably don't really want to act like family when you go to Olive Garden, (laughs) right? (laughs) Wear some clean clothes and watch your mouth. Um, But that's how we, that's how we, that's how we come to God. We see him as a part of our family. We are a part of his family, not uh, in the relationship that we have as like a boss or something. And so the test about your prayers is when your prayers aren't answered. And that's one of the problems we have with God is he doesn't answer our prayers sometimes, right? Or he answers them the wrong way. And, we, and so when your prayers aren't answered or when something comes up that you didn't want and plan for, do you get angry at God? Do you get anxious about him? Do you get frustrated with him? I think all of us have times in our lives when we just, we've been praying for something and then, mm, like the opposite happens. And then, you know, how do we react and respond to that? It tells a lot how we see God. You'll either be cold or anxious, Keller says. You know, we have to make sure that, that we're not seeing God as, you know, God, I worked for this. I've been patient. I've been good. I need this. You know, give me my paycheck is kind of what we're coming at him like. And we have to stop that and think otherwise. And so the way that we we fix this, the way that we understand what Jesus is wanting us to do, he says you pray to God personally. You pray to God sincerely. Pray to your Father. Be sincere. And you pray to your Father because he is yours. You are his and he is yours. Pray to him. Verses 9 through 16. And Jesus even... um, even starts to, to describe the, the very words. Pray like this. He even gives you a prayer to pray. Use this pattern, he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you say our Father, or when you say my Father, you've really said it all, haven't you? God is your Father. You know, Jesus doesn't start out by saying, you know, he doesn't start out the Lord's Prayer by saying, O oh, King, O King you know, almighty creator of the universe, he says, Father, our Father. And, and often we don't have good examples of fathers in this world, do we? This is another problem that we come to God with, that we struggle to pray to him. You know, you may have grown up with an abusive father. You may not have known your father. You may struggle as a dad to be a good father yourself. Yeah, I know personally what it's like to grow up with a distant father and a frustrating relationship with my father. And for many years, the temptation to see God this way is real. And this is another barrier we can have, and we struggle to overcome this. Some, some of you have wonderful relationships with your fathers. And you 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 talk to him all the time, or you 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 miss him dearly now that he has passed. He was there for you, and that's wonderful. And what 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 folks will say is that. This doesn't. This bad relationship stuff with our father doesn't negate this whole thing. It, it actually confirms it because when we have a broken relationship with our earthly father, it's a hole that we can feel. It lets us know that things aren't right. But Jesus is restoring this with your relationship with your heavenly father. He is yours. God does more than fill the gaps or pick up with your, where your dad left off. He is your Father. And you know, family's that way. You you still have dealings with family members, right? You ever had a Thanksgiving meal or you just knew you had to sit across from somebody and you love them anyway? That kind of thing, you, know, you wouldn't have a perfect stranger come and do that stuff you don't you know if somebody some business associate treats you that way or some client or something like that, you know the last thing you want to do is be nice to him, you, know? you know but a family you'll tolerate that all right he 's just crazy Uncle Joe, okay, just put up with him, kids you know you love him he 's your family, that kind of thing he's my brother he 's my sister she's my sister. you come to God um, and this is, we'll end on this you come come to God in a couple of ways you you, you come to him you know he 's your father. You know, with a childlike childlike reverence. You know, the Heidelberg Catechism gets into this really good question, 120. You know, you come to God with a childlike reverence and trust that through Christ, God has become our Father. And you know, you're adopted by God. This isn't from you. You haven't been a good little boy or girl, and then God loves you because of that. He has adopted you despite your sins because of the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19, is if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You're an adopted child of God. It's not an act of your own efforts. One thing we talked about this morning in Sunday School about the Reformation was this wonderful concept that just set the world on fire, that God has done this thing, that God loves. You don't have to earn points to get to heaven. And that, that, that turned the world upside down. It's a wonderful thing because he, he has adopted you and, you and I. So what are some things that a kid can do that nobody else can do, right? A child can wake up a parent at 3 a.m. just to ask, how does a Tyrannosaurus Rex brush his teeth with his little arms, right? <laughs> what time is it? I got to go to work. You know, kids can do this sort of stuff and get away with it. A, kid, a child lives without suspicion that a parent doesn't love him, right? Mom has a great phrase. She still says, love you anyway. She still says, <laughs> mom says I love you anyway is what mom said over and over again over the years. We always knew that mom loves us. We always know. A childlike, like, like what Heidelberg was talking about as well, a child has a childlike sense of wonder, a childlike spirit of wonder. And do you have a sense and a spirit of wonder about your heavenly father? Do you see him at work in your life? Do you see him at work in this world? And do you marvel? More importantly, do you marvel that he could take someone like you and, and save him? He can take someone like you and bring you here to worship, to fellowship? God delights in his children. And God's not a He's not a department store Santa, right? We don't come sit on his lap and give him a whole list of stuff, but He wants us, He wants us to ask Him for things, to tell us things, to confide in Him and to confess to Him. The first thing we do is to confess our sins to God. He wants his, He wants your cares, He wants your worries. You know, James 4 says, You ask but you don't receive because you ask wrongly, you spent to spend it on your passions. You know, ask in the right way. Ask with proper understanding. Ask knowing who you're asking. You know, Kevin Young again, he says, you know, your father delights in you. He delights to hear from his children. He delights to know that we love him, that we want to be with him, and that we trust him, that we believe, that we believe he cares for us, and that we know he can do anything about everything. You know, we sung Sweet Hour of Prayer, which is a wonderful hymn, and it. The passage in there that says, you know, thy wings shall my petition bear to him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting the soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, I'll cast on him my every, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. William Cowper has a hymn, Exhortation to Prayer. And William Cowper certainly knew a lot of pain and trouble in this world. But he wrote beautiful words. He said, restraining prayer, we cease to fight Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We truly do. Lord, show us how you are our Father. Lord, sharpen our words to come to you, to give give you really what's in our hearts, to plead with you and love you, to come to you at 3 a.m., to ask you those questions. Father, to know, to live in confidence, the fear of no man or no thing, because we pray to you, our Father, who loves us and who hears us, who answers us through the blood and the wonderful sacrifice and perfection and deep love of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being our Father. Christ's name we pray, amen.